Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. I got on the phone today with the college football scheduling guru, a guy named Dave Brown, who lives in Austin, Texas. If Oregon State and Washington State are going to make a run at being the Pac-2, and that that option is on the table, if they're going to make a run at being the Pac-2 in college football, they're going to have to put together a 12-game football schedule for 2024. And, oh, that means filling nine slots on their schedule. I talked to Dave Brown, who is the guy nationally today, he walked me through it, and he said it's doable. He said it's not the best, not mo- not the most ideal circumstance. But he did not paint a dire picture to me. You want to read about it, you can read it at johnconzano.com. That's where I'm writing now. We'll talk more about it later. But uh, Dave Brown, the wizard, more or less, when it comes to scheduling. He is the guy on scheduling. can read all about it. Uh, Oregon's playing Colorado. They're hosting Colorado on Saturday. Spencer McLaughlin hosts a podcast, covers the Ducks, knows all about Oregon football. He's a guy that you can find uh, as the host of the Locked On Ducks podcast and the Locked On Pac-12 podcast. He's joining us now to talk about this Colorado-Oregon matchup. A lot of eyes on this game. A lot of people rooting for Colorado and against Colorado. Uh, Spencer, help me help me quantify this. Why do you think this Colorado hype train has garnered nine million viewers, eight million viewers, seven million viewers for games? Well, because everyone wants to see him fail, and at the same time, everyone wants to see him succeed. I, I think there are only two camps that you can be in. You know, I, I grew up watching those ESPN uh, 30 for 30s, and, I, you know, I've thought about this over the years just kind of as a, a, a sports talk host. Like, when people love to, you know, or hate hating players, um, sometimes, and I don't know if it's just the way I'm wired, I, I love to hate players and root against people, um, and I, I don't feel that way specifically about Deion Sanders, but a lot of people do. And this 30 for 30 that I always think about uh, that that I remember watching growing up was called I Hate Christian Leitner because Christian Leitner was Duke. Christian Leitner was elitist. Christian Leitner was preppy and all that sort of stuff. And then it was him against the Fab Five. And I watched that. And, you know, I'm too young to have seen Christian Leitner play while he was at Duke. And I I came away thinking I would have loved to have hate Christian Leitner. I think it would have been really fun. And you have people who are just so enthralled with Dion, and you have people who can't stand every time 
he opens his mouth. And that creates drama, hype, intrigue, call it whatever you want, but that appeals to a large audience, I, I think in a way that not even Nick Saban has ever been able to. Saban's not flamboyant. I actually like watching Nick Saban talk to the media, and sometimes I do with Dion, and sometimes I roll my eyes. So I, I think it's just one of those things that is so very polarizing that you get the opposite ends of the spectrum as to where you stand. There's not a lot of people in the middle, and that drives a lot, a lot of content, a lot of engagement, and a lot of eyeballs as a result. I keep looking at this game, and I, I, I just don't see a way that Colorado's defense stops Oregon's offense. Do you think Bo Nix and Oregon, ha- you know, do they have their way with Colorado? Well, it's it's hard to see the evidence that Colorado's defense is going to be able to hold up and, and keep Oregon, I mean, under 30 points. So that alone makes it makes it tough for for the Buffs for sure. I mean, they're 122nd in total defense. They allow five yards of carry. Oregon likes to run the football. I think that's kind of an interesting matchup. Oregon didn't run it great against Texas Tech, which is the only, you know, true barometer I think you can have for what to expect in this game. But even if you look at that, at that, that game in Lubbock, and you say, okay, Oregon went on the road, and sure, they had a late pick six, but they were over 30 points on the road. And in what world is Colorado's defense better than what Texas Tech's had. And, you know, the Ducks ended up with uh, 31 points offensively. That was on the road. Now they're at home. Colorado's defense is on the road. I think that all works against the Buffs. And uh, I think for the Ducks, you know, I expect them to win the game, John. But I think whether or not they can win by a lot comes down to what they can bring to the table defensively and how they slow down Shadur Sanders. That that Shadur Sanders factor. I've been surprised, Spencer, at how good he looks, and and he looks like Thank a guy you. that has elevated himself as a potential first round pick in the NFL draft. And I he was not at all on my radar as that kind of player. Is uh, is this week important to him in that narrative? Because I, I feel like he's coming in. They've got no Travis Hunter. They're a twenty one point underdog. He did it in week one against TCU. If he can do it now and do it again and do it against a Pac-12 defense, I, I don't know who's, who's going to stop him. Yeah, I, I mean, he's really impressed me, and I had questions about him coming in the same way that everybody did, and I think fairly, and he's just answered those questions. You know, uh, I, I, I get pushback from Colorado fans all the time. I mean, everybody does. If you say the Buffs aren't winning the national championship, you'll get pushback from somebody somewhere if you look hard enough. But – I think that with, with Shadur Sanders, you know, my question coming in was, hey, how are you going to make this adjustment? Because there is a jump here. You know, I, I do play-by-play for, for an FBS school, and, you know, when we go play FBS programs, we played Arizona State and BYU this year, um, it, it, it looks different on, on the other side. The speed is, is different, and, you know, Southern Utah has got a, a good quarterback. That's the school that I work for. But he's not going for 300 or more yards against, uh, against FBS schools, but he played a really good FCS school last week, and he ended up with 324. And, like th- there's a gap there. So my question was, how do you make that adjustment? Because I look at Cam Ward, you know, last year what he did for Washington State, he was really good for the most part. But uh, as you probably saw, John, he also had a lot of moments that were kind of you know in and out. He was inconsistent, and 
he had individual sequences where he'd go, okay, you can make that throw or try to make that play or outrun that guy. Again, FCS guys, you can't do that at the Power 5 level, and I think there was an adjustment there. And by the way, I think he's a better version of, of himself. He's been really good for Washington State through three games so far, and they've got a big game, of course, this weekend against the Beats. But Shadur Sanders, from the moment he stepped on the field, I mean, he looked ready. A friend of mine compared him to Bryce Young with his decision-making. I think it's a good comparison because I have seen zero throws. Uh, I haven't watched every snap, but I've watched a lot of them for Colorado. I've seen zero throws where I feel like Shador Sanders is putting the ball in harm's way. His IQ back there and ability to read defenses and know where the ball needs to go and then having the tools to deliver it there, I've been thoroughly impressed. I see all the traits of an NFL quarterback, and um, you know, I heard another podcast host joke, yeah, big surprise. Deion Sanders' son is good at sports, uh, which point taken, but I, I, the questions were fair to ask, but to Shadur's credit, he, he's answered them in resounding fashion this year. We're talking to Spencer McLaughlin, Locked on Ducks, Locked on the Pac-12 podcast. I, I said off the top of the show that there was a huge opportunity for Oregon. Help me unpack that. There's a recruiting opportunity. There's going to be a lot of eyeballs. Does that come with risk for Dan Lanning as well, though? Yeah, I mean, it absolutely does. Anytime you have a minus 21 next to your team's name in the ESPN app going into a game, there's uh, a downside to losing that is certainly greater than the upside to winning. However, the Dion effect is, is, is working in Oregon's favor because if, if, if you have a normal game, John, where, where Oregon is a 21-point favorite, say – Let's say that number exists against Arizona State later this year in Tempe, and they win the game by 28, 30 points. Does that do anything for Oregon? Does that make noise? Does that get attention? Does that boost their AP ranking or college football playoff potential ranking? No, I, I don't think it does whatsoever in the college football world. But if you do that against Colorado, that's going to do something for you because more people are watching, more people are paying attention, and the line was all, is almost identical to what it was when, when Colorado went to, went to Fort Worth and knocked off TCU. So I, I think that the, the Dion effect is a, a boon to Oregon this week. If they, if they win and it's closer than the 21-point spread, no one, I think, looks at Oregon and says, oh, look, no, the Ducks are not that good because it'll be another feather in Colorado's cap of men. Didn't think they'd keep up with the Ducks there either, but they did to their credit. Colorado's a good team. And, you know, the only real downside for the Ducks, I think, is if they, you know, lose the game outright. I don't think that happens. I think the Travis Hunter loss is a significant one. Um, and Oregon, of course, is a very good team at Austin Stadium. But I, I think how much Oregon wins by will come down to that, that defensive side of the ball. Dan Lanning's favorite thing to answer questions about. Tosh Lapoy, defensive coordinator. He'll be calling a game against Sean Lewis who has been very good at Colorado on the offensive side of the ball. And now you've got Will Stein, fairly young as a coordinator at Oregon at least, calling against Charles Kelly, the former Florida State D coordinator. That feels like a mismatch to me. Is that the biggest advantage Colorado has in this game? I don't know about the Stein part of it because I think he has been good and he was good when he needed to be in the biggest moments against uh, Texas Tech. You know, the difference between uh, Will Stein and Kenny Dillingham from a year ago, Dillingham had never actually been a play caller. 
You know, he wasn't a play caller for Bo Nix in 2019 at Auburn in Norvell uh, at Florida State, I believe, was his play caller there, and also at, at Memphis. Will Stein has called plays for, for several years now um, and did so successfully at UTSA. He's going up against some quality coordinators. I, I think that's, you know, been an undersold part of Dion's success this year with the Buffs is he's made two quality coordinator hires, mostly on the offensive side of the ball. Defensively, we'll see. They don't have the personnel to match up with, with everybody else yet, but they've done enough. They, they've clearly done enough, but it feels closer to Alex Grinch than it does at, you know, Jim Leonard at, at formerly Wisconsin, for instance. But, uh, I mean, Sean Lewis is really, really sharp. I, I've been so impressed. That offense has an identity. They, they are not able to run the football very well. Again, I think that's personnel-based. And I think that he's been very good. And this will be a real test for, for Tosh Lupoy, who's the defensive coordinator, and, and for the rest of the defensive staff. That includes Dan Lanning, by the way. You know, Oregon fans have uh, not-so-happy uh, visions of Washington coming in throwing for over 400 yards. And, and Colorado's got a capable passing offense. If, if the Ducks are not able to at least keep things in check here against Colorado at home, I'm not sure how they could expect to do that on the road against Washington in a couple of weeks with who I think is the best OC in the conference in, in Ryan Grubb, who's really good. But Sean Lewis is, is flying up that list. There are a lot of good ones in the conference, to be sure. Um, but I, I think that it's a good test of Rocker once again to understand where Oregon's defense is at. I think they're better than last year. How much? We'll see on Saturday. We're talking to Spencer McLaughlin. It's Colorado and Oregon at 1230. On ABC at Autzen Stadium, uh, Spencer, Bo Nix, and the Oregon offense. Um, I look, you know, I criticize the Oregon offense in the Texas Tech game, but then I look up and I go, "Gosh, you know, Bo Nix throws three touchdown passes. He's got the yards." And I, I think what I what I what's missing for me is a consistent run game, and it's hard for me in the Portland State and the Hawaii games to get a sense on whether or not Oregon's going to be able to run the ball consistently. Will they do that against Colorado? I, I think they're certainly going to try. The Buffs have allowed five yards of carry this season, and their total defense has been pretty poor. The rushing defense has been a big part of that. And you look at what Nebraska tried to do in Boulder, I thought they'd be able to have more success. It turns out I underestimated how much Jeff Sims can struggle to throw the ball at the quarterback position, which is a heck of a strategy for the Cornhuskers in year one under their near under their new coach, but, um, you know, they ran the ball successfully in Boulder. It was around five yards carry. They just couldn't do anything else. So I don't think Nebraska has more talent than Oregon. In fact, I think they have less talent than Oregon. I know they have a much less talented quarterback, and, and that's why I feel good about the Ducks' offense going into this football game because if Nebraska, who is not nearly the team that Oregon is, is able to run the football in Colorado in Boulder, well, then, yeah, we should be able to do that uh, against the Buffs in Eugene. But if Colorado says, well, yeah, we'll give you the run, we're just going to try and take away the pass. Travis Hunter was a part of that. He won't be there uh, playing this Saturday. Still, their pass defense has been better than the run defense uh, at this point in the season. But I know what Bo Nix is capable of, and I don't think that uh, Colorado's faced an offense that's as talented as Oregon's yet. I think TCU is the closest, but I like Oregon's more. Um, so I, I think that that's going to be something we will see Oregon continue continue to try to do, and that's run the football. That's you know uh, It was a foundation of their success a year ago. It can be again this year. They, they have to be better than they were against Texas Tech, certainly, but 
I don't think you're going to see them go full air raid and abandon the run unless they get down in the game like they were against the Red Raiders. Oregon's season obviously started weeks ago with Portland State, but I feel like conference play is another animal. Oregon cannot lose to Colorado. It has to win uh, the games it's supposed to win. I think they can afford one loss somewhere and still have a chance to get to the conference championship game, still obviously uh, be talked about as a playoff team. In your mind, Oregon's toughest game of the schedule falls against who? Uh, if Cam Rising is healthy, I will go at Utah. If Cam Rising is not healthy, I will go at Washington. Um, I think this is a game that Oregon cannot overlook. But if they play to their potential, they will win this game comfortably. Um, I cannot say that about the other big matchups that Oregon will have in, in Pac-12 play. If they play their best football at Washington, they can win the game. They won't win it by multiple scores. If they play their best f- football against USC or Utah or Oregon State, they can win. I don't know that they do it by by multiple scores. So I, I think that this is a game that uh, is is going to generate a lot of hype and buzz because it's got the Colorado factor. And um, I agree with you about one loss is the barometer, even though the Pac-12 is so deep. If you just kind of go through and, and look at who will probably get into the playoff this year, you got to be a one-loss or undefeated conference champ to get in. That's historically what it has been. I don't think that changes, even in a Pac-12 that's as deep as any conference. It's deeper than any conference in America and as deep as it's ever been. Um, for the conference championship game, I think you could lose two. I, I, I do because this league is so stacked. Everyone's just going to beat up on each other. Um, I mean, Oregon's got to play Washington and Utah and USC in Oregon State. Oh, and then avoid stumbles against a team like uh, Washington State or Colorado, for instance. And then Washington has to play at Oregon State, and they have to play Utah, and they have to play at USC, and they have to play Oregon, and they have to play Washington State. It's at home, but it's a rivalry game. You never know. USC's got – like, you can just go down the list. It's just a gauntlet for everybody. It's only getting tougher uh, by the looks of it week after week. I was kind of down on UCLA coming into the year. They've looked good so far. Yeah, they look um, really good. I still want – they have. I want to see them against Utah this week before I say that I underestimated them because so far they've been exactly what I thought they would be. Um, and, you know, Dante Moore has been the guy who's lived up to the hype, five-star true freshman. But I think he needs to go into an environment like Utah and then go for 250 to 300 yards and a couple scores and no more than one pick. And then I'll say, okay, yeah, this guy can compete with the best quarterbacks in the pack because – even if you're really talented, like he is, there are so many good signal callers in this league. You, you just can't be, you know, average to okay at the position and come out on top. I think you have to have uh, a really, really good quarterback. There he is, Spencer McLaughlin. You can check him on the Locked On Ducks podcast, Locked On the Pac-12. I, I hear a lot of people talking about this conference cannibalizing itself. You heard that a lot, right, in the last three or four weeks. Oh, they're going to beat each other. They're going to beat each other. Let's wait a little bit before we go to that point. Because I think USC and Oregon and Oregon State and UCLA and Utah and Washington are all really good. I'm starting to see some separation, though. Arizona, Cal, Arizona State, Stanford not looking that good. And, in fact, Arizona State and Stanford look terrible. Like, could they be 0-9 in conference play terrible? Both of them. Colorado, to me, 
and I've said this all along. Maybe I'm just a hater. I said at the beginning of the year, three and nine. They're three and zero. Are they going to lose nine straight? No, because they're going to beat Arizona State. They're going to beat Stanford. I don't know if they're going to beat anybody else. Maybe they beat Arizona. So I think there's some separation coming, and I think we're going to see. We're going to find out if Washington State is a top six team or not on Saturday. They they have the home field, and they're they're playing a top six team in Oregon State. But I kind of feel like the standings are going to look very balanced by the end of the year. And that narrative of, oh, this conference is going to beat up on itself, and maybe to some extent, yeah, because you've got Utah, Washington, Oregon, Oregon State, USC, and UCLA, all all pretty good. But just let's wait a second, because Washington may separate with Michael Penix. USC may separate at the top with Caleb Williams. Hell, it might be Oregon State and Oregon. Somebody's going to separate at the top in the way that the bottom teams are starting to separate. And I think we're going to see some differences and some structure in the conference that tell us, hey, there are some easy wins in this conference. When you play Cal or Arizona or Arizona State or Stanford, you should expect to win. And maybe Colorado. Hell, Oregon's a 21-point favorite over a team that's 3-0 and and ranked 19th. Does that make sense to anybody? Or is something overhyped? That's where my mind is. Up next, we're going to play Fun Fact or Not. Anna's in the studio. Anna's in the studio. Do you like when I do that? It's like when you have that one friend that calls you, and you're in the car with the kids. I know. And it automatically goes to speakerphone. So you have to, like, right away tell that friend, Hey, you're You're on speakerphone. Oh, you're on speakerphone. (laughs) Your foul-mouthed friend. (laughs) Everybody has... That one friend, right? Yep. That's how I feel when you're announcing that I'm in the studio. Uh, We're going to play a game coming up called Fun Fact or Not. Ooh. Do you like that? Yeah. We're going to play that coming (laughs) up. We're going to take a couple calls as well. Hey, by the way, USC is getting blistered for that media policy where they uh, suspended that young reporter for protocol violations. By the way, among his violations, he called the USC president, Carol, in a news conference, instead of um, Madam Folt or Her Majesty or whatever she wants to be called. He <laughs> called her Carol. Uh, they're just getting roasted right now. Chip Kelly came out and he said, they, he, they asked him what he thought of it, and he said, I can do that? <laughs> I didn't know I could do that. Um, That's the most Chip Kelly response yeah, ever. Yeah, he got a smile on his face, and everyone was like, stop smiling. <laughs> uh, we're going to play Fun Fact or Nah. I like saying it like that. Oh, wow. Uh, coming up, Stephen loves it. It's Stephen's favorite thing to do every week. Is it, though? Yeah. Stephen? Stephen loves that game. Mm-hmm. He does. Okay. All right. Cam and Eugene's called in, though. Cam, what's up, man? What's on your mind? Hey, John. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited for this weekend's game. I graduated from both Oregon and Colorado, so I'm an Ooh. alumni of both. Whoa. So cool cool Saturday for me. Got tickets for myself and uh, the wife and my cousin. going to go out and check out the game. I'm okay, wait, wait, wait. I gotta ask you. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. I gotta ask you. Are you in a can't lose situation or a can't win situation? <laughs> it's a straight up Oregon game for me. I gotta tell okay. you, when it when it comes time <laughs> to make the cut, it's the Ducks first. It's more of a. I, I'm a little older, so I come from the time when like you rooted for your state team second after your own. So it's more of a consideration when it's Colorado versus Oregon State. But when it's the Ducks, I'm a duck on that weekend. 
I want Colorado to do great things and just not Saturday. All right. You're on it. Anything else? So, yeah, yeah. So I, I always liked Oregon's kind of avant-garde style, you know, at the beginning of the century or the beginning of the millennium, you know, the highlighter uniforms and the diamond plate and the sort of like cutting-edge look. And so I was surprised to see that they didn't really look into Coach Prime when they had the opportunity to go after him before Dan Landing was hired. I don't want to get either of us suspended from the University of Oregon for talking about this, John, but I'm curious if you know anything about why there was no interest uh, there for Oregon to take a look at Coach Prime when they had the opportunity. Well, first of all, I don't think that Coach Prime had – sort of the momentum that he had already that he gained at Jackson State in the last year. Remember Dan Lanning was hired a year before Coach Prime was hired at Colorado. But I got to be honest with you, when Colorado hired Coach Prime, I said to myself, gosh, I bet Oregon's kicking itself for not like being a year later in the hiring cycle because it was the most Oregon thing ever to go hire somebody who's going to be a great recruiter and then surround him with offensive and defensive coordinators and position coaches who could really be the teachers and let that guy be the face of the program and try to win in the portal. I mean, it's the future of college football, and frankly, it's the present of college football. So I do think there would have been interest if Oregon was in the market for a coach in the same hiring cycle. But remember, even into that last year at Jackson State, there were questions about, you know, could a coach on that level really rise up and do it? Now, Oregon should have known better than anybody because what did Oregon do? Oregon hired Chip Kelly from New Hampshire, made him the offensive coordinator, and he was game-planning against Ohio State in a Rose Bowl all of a sudden. I remember asking Chip, hey, is game-planning for Delaware the same as Ohio State? And he said, yeah, it's just game-planning. So I think Oregon knew, but I think, you know, Oregon didn't know Mario Cristobal was leaving. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Baltimore. Hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but... If you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.